With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at The Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Welcome to Good Calls with Dean Blandino, a production of iHeartRadio. What's up? Welcome to Good Calls. I'm Dean Blandino. Got another great show for you. As always, I'm joined by... Our producer, Travis Hansen. Not making it weird. Not tonight. Not tonight. Thanks, Travis. What's On up, audio, dude? Joe Madrid. Not making it weird. So, so listen, before we get into <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Great show. We're going to talk NFL. We're talking a little college. Peter King is going to join us. But I do want to say, Travis, I got some feedback from some listeners, and they asked me, to take it a little bit easier on you that, that they felt like we, me in particular, that I was bullying you in a way on the show. I encourage it. It's fun. It, and that's, yeah, that's so kind that's of what, they, what you guys I didn't understand. That's it's, what I kind of thought. It's all in and good fun. The way I am, like if I'm not making fun of you, I don't like you. That's an Italian thing. Cause in, in my household growing up, if you weren't being made fun yes, of, we don't like you. We at don't all. like you. Yeah. If, we, if we're, it's, if we're not paying you any attention, if we pay you no mind, then you really, you're, you shouldn't even, it was be the, the same world. on the streets of Wyo. Yes. The streets of Wyo. <laughs> and are you, how far along are you, you know, so SWG, the podcast, Standard White Guy, are you any further along with getting that off off to, uh, you know? Well, the iHeart guys haven't called me, even though they listen to the show here. So There's I, so it, many, uh, there's so much potential for SWG with Travis Hansen. It's like we were talking about it. I was like, and, and on this, this week's episode, we're going to talk about L.L. Bean Christmas catalog. I said, bring your Sharpie. So you, well, I know family. Vineyard Vines is already yes, a sponsor. So. And, or my perfect day in Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs> we're gonna, we could have so much with that, but let's get into it. NFL week 14. And what are we talking about? We're talking about pass interference. And so we, we've talked about this standard and it, it feels like this standard is kind of this, this, it's kind of like a white whale, right? It's like the white whale where we're searching for it and we can't, we just can't get it. Joe does has no idea about that reference. <laughs> Travis, maybe slightly, but it's kind of white whale, white whale Moby Dick. Have you read I, it? It's I know that's, okay. that's where Starbucks came from. Okay. Anyway, so two plays I want to talk about in particular, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and the Jets, Miami, and they were two pretty big plays. Cincinnati, Cleveland, this is an interception late in the game. Cincinnati's trailing. 
Uh, I think it was 24-16 at that time. And they pick off a pass, Baker Mayfield, pass to uh, OBJ, and there's contact early. The ball gets tipped in the air, and Cincinnati picks it off. Automatic review. So they obviously saw something significant, stopped the game, and reversed it and made it pass interference, gave the ball back to Cleveland. This one, again, it felt... To me, it is pass interference. He's there early. He does affect Beckham's ability to get both arms up to catch the pass. So I think it's the right call in replay. But again, if you start to compare those calls with some of the calls that happened earlier in the season that weren't overturned, that's where I think we 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 come up with some inconsistency. Then you get to the Jets-Miami, and this is a huge call in the game. I mean, it is a huge with a capital U. And late in the game, Miami's up, and the Jets are driving. It's third and 17, pass intended for Vincent Smith. That falls incomplete. Again, inside two minutes, so we're initiating that review in replay. So they obviously see something. They create the foul in replay, gives the Jets a first down, and I think the Miami 38-yard line, they end up kicking the game-winning field goal a little bit later. And uh, and there was actually a pool report. And look, I again, I think this is in real time. I don't see this as pass interference. I think in real time when you see there's a hand on the shoulder and the question becomes, does that hand, does he grab and turn the receiver clearly before the ball gets there? And I don't think it's clearly before the ball gets there when the receiver gets turned. I think it's debatable, right? I can see why they added it in replay. If the standard is going to be, look, we're just going to look at this play. It's not going to be clear and obvious. It's either pass interference or it isn't, and I have to make that call. I can see it if that's your standard, but that hasn't been where we've been. And again, it's such a close play, and in real time, I just don't see it as a foul. I see why the officials let it go, but obviously they overturned it. Jets win the game. There was a pool report, and and Senior Vice President of Officiating Al Riveron did respond to the pool report. Travis, you have a couple of highlights from the pool report. Yeah, so again, he says, by rule, in two, under two minutes, we look at it in the booth. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, and he says... Um, we look at the line feed. That's the initial view of the play. And there was some contact. We look at it. It rises to the level in the line feed where we had to stop the game and look at it. After we look at it, we get a couple replays which show that it's clear and obvious that the defender grabs the receiver by the shoulder, turns him prior to getting the ball there, and significantly hinders him before the ball arrives. So, so that significantly hindered is the key language. And, and again, to me, it's... Is it clear and obvious or are we going super slow motion and trying to figure this out? Because when you watch, and we talked about this, we have two standards now. We have an on-field standard that is officiated in real time, and then you have a replay standard that is officiated in slow motion. And it looks different. It looks worse in slow motion. And when you watch it in real time, and that's where I am, if it jumps out in real time, then it's obvious, right? Then we got to create that foul and replay. If it doesn't jump out in real time and we're going frame by frame by frame, that's where it starts to get less obvious. And I don't know Mm -hmm. where where that line is. And I think it's hard. There was another interesting point that Riveron made that I want you to to read and we can talk about that. The other thing I wanted to say first was those two plays that you mentioned there, the OBJ and, um, and the other play in the Jets game, where where you had the PI, it seemed like both of those receivers are able to get both of their hands up. So yeah, and I think that's something that they've they've obviously there's been 
some plays. I think if you're looking for a trend, that's been one of them, that when a receiver can't get one or both of his arms up, that that has been more likely to get overturned or added in replay. And it looked like they were both able to get their hands up. And again, it's just, and this is not, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that this falls on New York or Riveron. This is what we get when we make these subjective calls reviewable. Mm -hmm. And when you have, and it's almost like you can't win because it feels like the standard for most of the season, at least the middle part of the season was a really high bar and people weren't happy with that. And now the bar appears to have been lowered, which, which the league won't admit to. And and we'll get to that in a second, but the bar appears to be lowered and people still aren't happy. And so it's, again, it's trying to find that right balance of where is the right line where it's either a foul that we're going to create in replay or we're not going to create it in replay. And I think we're still searching mm-hmm. for a consistent standard. Yeah, so so the, here's the question that the, the pool reporter asked. It said, it appears we're seeing more defensive pass interference calls overturned than earlier this year. Is that correct, do you think? And Riveron answered, well, I don't look at it by numbers, and we don't look at it by numbers here. We treat each one individually, which is good. I, I think that's that's a great way to do it. And then he says, that's how we officiate the play on the field or review the play for lack of a better term. If the numbers show one thing, we really don't concern ourselves where we are that week, that month, or that game. Again, we basically look at each ruling at each call at each play on an individual basis. And then we apply the rule. Dean, what are your thoughts? So I, Travis, I asked you to read it, not to give your opinion. And (laughs) and so you threw your opinion in there. So now these are the reasons why I can't be nice to you. And that's fine. Because again, I didn't do what I was told. So here's the, Here's the issue I have with that is, yes, I understand looking at the play and looking at the the, the evidence you have before you, but the whole idea in terms of, of limiting or reducing the number of people that are making decisions in replay is to create greater consistency. And you have to compare. You have to look at, okay, what is my standard? And I have to apply the consistent standard. So I can't look at each play in a vacuum. I have to say, if I'm overturning this call, then I have to stick to that standard. And if I'm, if I have a similar play in another game, I have to apply the same standard and rule accordingly. Mm-hmm. And so again, when you're trying to create greater consistency, you can't look at these things in a vacuum. You have to say, if I'm making this call in this game in the Jets, Dolphins, I have to make the same call when the similar sets of circumstances presents itself to me in the Seahawks Rams game. And I think that's how you get greater consistency. And when you look at and they do look at the numbers. They look at the numbers. They review those during the week. And when you look at the numbers, it's really hard to say that it hasn't changed. Because through, or at least going into week 14, there were 83 reviews for pass interference, 18 reversals. Okay, that's going into week 14. So far through the games in week 14, there were three reviews, two reversals. So two out of three. And so when you look at the last three weeks, Eight of those 18 reversals have occurred in the last three weeks. That, to me, tells me that that something happened. Because when you look at the plays that happened week five, week six, week seven, and you compare them to some of the calls that are being made now, some of those calls that stood were actually, at least in my opinion, more blatant Mm -hmm. than the ones that are getting overturned. So I think something did change. I'm not saying that the change wasn't warranted or it's not the right thing to do. But again, 
we've got to try to find some consistency here. And I don't think that looking at each play individually and just having blinders on is the way to go. Joe, do you have any feel? You've been very quiet, Joe. I'm not. Is some, are you all right? I'm. You know what? I'm. Are you sure? I'm just kind of tired of the pass interference thing. I feel like we should you, change the name of the show to the pass interference. Well, show. you know, it's it's <laughs> what everybody's talking about. But some other things other people were talking about. Nice segue. The Saints 49ers game, which was an unbelievable game, unbelievable great game, went down to the wire, and uh, and so you had two plays in that game, two really interesting plays. One that went to review, the one one that did not. And Jared Cook caught a touchdown pass in the first quarter. He actually got hit, hit on a defenseless receiver. The San Francisco DB hit him in the head neck area. He was in a defenseless posture. And then he went to the ground, and the ball came out. The officials ruled touchdown. It was not stopped for further review, but that doesn't mean it wasn't looked at. They confirm it. They look at it. They decide either the call in the field is correct or we're not going to change it, so we're going to let it go. And that's what happened. Cook went to the ground. He didn't complete the catch while upright. So he has to maintain control all the way to the ground or he has to perform a football move on the way to the ground. He held the ball. He had control when he first hit the ground. So he survived the ground. And then it was almost as if he let it go after he had contacted the ground. So that, to me, is why they 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 let it stand. They didn't stop it for further review. It's really close, and there's a lot of people that thought that was incomplete because he didn't complete the process of contacting mm-hmm. the ground. And certainly in real time, you can make a case. But to me, when you look at that replay, I don't think because they ruled it catch on the field, I don't think they would have changed it because he did look like he had control when he first hit the ground. And then he almost like he let it go after the fact. So Do you think if they ruled play. incomplete that they would have been able to? I, I, overturn that's it? a great question. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know because it's one of those plays where, to me, it's almost like whatever they ruled on the field. Yeah, it's not obvious either way. But that's once he has control in the end zone, it breaks the plan. That's game over. No, well, that's not really because he still has to. He still has to establish possession. It's different when a receiver is trying to establish possession and he's going to the ground and he hasn't completed the catch yet. He has to hold on to it all the way to the ground, even though he may have broken the plane prior to contacting the ground. It's different than we saw Drew Brees in the same game. Yeah. When he gets the snap and he already has established possession, as soon as he reaches that ball out for the goal line and it breaks the plane, that's a touchdown because it's a runner who has established possession versus a receiver who is attempting to establish mm. possession. So that's the difference. Now, the other play that really got people going in that game was the <laughs> Your Twitter's fake still going off, punt. right? Okay. Oh, yeah. A lot of people were talking about this play. And this was this was a fake punt. New Orleans lines up for a punt. Typical punt formation where you have your two your two gunners, one on either side of the formation, and they end up snapping it to the punter, and he throws a deep pass to the gunner on the right, who's clearly interfered with, mm-hmm. okay? Contact is clearly early, clear pass interference, and it would have been a foul if that had been a regular play from scrimmage. If that had not been a punting formation, it would have been a foul. But by rule... You can't have pass interference on the widest man in either formation when a team presents a punt punt formation. And the reason is, is because what we were seeing, and this rule look goes back, goes back to 1987. They changed it to say you couldn't have illegal contact because what was happening is those jammers, those corners that are on that gunner, they're trying to prevent that guy from going downfield, mm-hmm. right? So they're contacting him beyond five. And now, if it's a fake, you can't have illegal contact. That's just not fair. 
And then in 1997, they added the restriction in terms of pass interference because what we were seeing, and I was in the league at the time, I was a I was a lowly intern, just just doing what Travis should do, just keeping my mouth <laughs> shut and listening at the time. But they added the rule because what we were seeing is teams were taking advantage. They knew those corners were going to jam those those gunners, and they would just take a quick snap, throw it out, throw a quick pass out there, and get an easy pass interference call. So the competition committee put in, you can't have PI against the widest man in the formation. So it's not pass interference by rule. Now the question, is it holding? You can have holding on a fake punt. Okay. You, that, that still applies. And so you can't just hold a, an eligible receiver who's attempting to run a route, but we do allow, and you have to think of it the way I see it is you have to look at it a little bit differently. Would that be called holding on a punt by, for that corner, holding that gunner from getting downfield? If it was just a normal punt, if they were actually punting, if they were actually punting. And that's the standard to me, that's the holding standard versus the standard on a regular pass play, if you just grab Jersey, that's holding prior to the pass. And I think that's, it's really tough. I get what coach Payton was saying about holding because he did have a hold of the, of the, uh, the shoulder pad as they're going downfield. I didn't think there was any restriction. And I think that's a tough, tough deal to call holding there. When you've got a guy that he has no idea, this is a fake punt. His job is just to prevent that guy from going downfield. He doesn't even see the ball. He's owning the guy on his block. Yeah. He, th- he thinks he's at the best block of, of, 100%. of the game. So, you know, interesting play. I do think they got it right. I I really do. And uh, and I thought the, you know, the referee, um, John Hussey, got on the microphone very quickly, announced it. I felt like our guys were all over it, Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis. I went on the air, and uh, and that always always great because that always opens me up to another fan base, and they send lots of love <laughs> on Twitter when that happens. So How come you don't hear that more often? Like, just get on the mic and say, there was no no pass interference on a call. Like, the, they, the officials don't say anything. You know, they it, it's it, that certainly raised to the level of where it was so unusual because yeah. everybody's looking at it going... God, that's pass interference. And and of course, where is it? It's in New Orleans. You know, like it, I feel like the Saints, the Saints fans can't catch a break when it comes to this deal. But, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, that, what, I, that you know what hit me in, on that play yeah. is because sometimes when I'm watching the game and you could hear, you know, Burkhardt or whoever explaining what's happening and why there wasn't pass interference. But people in bars, they don't get the audio sometimes. Right. Yes. Because a lot of times I know when there's a big play is because my phone. If you know Dean, you are Dean. I get, stop texting me, people. I'm going to give you Dean's number. Text him. I'm tired of it. But I go, they're explaining it. Dean went on the air and explained it. Why are you asking me? And she goes, I'm in a bar. I don't, I can't hear it. Yeah. So that kind of answered a lot of questions. I, I don't know what we can do about that, Joe. I don't know that. We'll I give think Dean's number out later in the, the show. Establishment Just stay tuned. And say, hey, can we get the, can we get the sound on? I know <laughs> yeah. a lot of bars will do that. That'd be some great. Places, but we can start to, we can start to work on that. And make sure that I'm people, hoping that this announcement really lets bar owners know that we did we one time. You know, we had a college, we had a, a college Saturday off a couple whenever that was earlier in the season, and we were watching games. And this table next to us came to me every time there was an officiating call, and they wanted a live <laughs> rules analysis. <laughs> this is true. It was so good. It was good. Um, all right. So then, I wanted the other game I want to talk about is my Twitter is still blowing up. Kansas City, New England. Oh my. Goodness. Speaking gracious. of a team not getting calls, the oh, second boy. half of that game 
was, you know, in officiating terms, we call, sometimes you'll, you'll get in the locker room after a game and they'll go, man, that was a clinic. And you can literally put together an officiating clinic by some plays that happened in the second half. And unfortunately for Patriots fans, a lot of it felt like it went against the Patriots. So New England challenges a first down spot. Chiefs are given, awarded a first down. And look, the spot is wrong. Okay, the spot was off by a yard, and they gave Kansas City, they, I think they put the ball on the 40, and and I think at best it was the 39. But at the best. line the game was the 39, and mm-hmm. Belichick challenges it, and I get it because they're off by a yard. And so he challenges it, and there was also another part of that play where Travis Kelsey, and this was really cute, Kelsey goes kind of about a yard and a half downfield and just kind of stops, and he doesn't really – stick his 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 butt out like overtly but like he's twerking but he definitely <laughs> he definitely knows what he's doing for and, sure and and he kind of just creates some interference on the 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 Patriots DB but it was almost right at a yard it wasn't clear and obvious so you're not going to get that and then they just let it stand and I I had a problem with that because to me it's obvious he didn't make the 40 Put the ball back on the 39 and either say it's a first down, but the spot was off. They're still going to lose the challenge, and that, that's important because I'm going to get to it in a second. Or you remeasure, and if it's still a first down, they lose the challenge. Okay, If the down changes, they would win the challenge. So now you're down a challenge. So now Bill has one challenge left. Even if he wins it, he can't get a third. What happens almost a minute later, they rule Kelsey down. Patriots pick it up, the ball's loose, officials rule down, it's actually a fumble. So Bill challenges, he wins the challenge because it was a fumble, they had a clear recovery, but no advance allowed, and it looked like, I think it was Gilmore that picked it up, that might have, I don't know if he would have scored, I don't know, because Tyreek Hill was was on the field, (laughs) and Tyreek Hill was already past Gilmore, and, but anyway, I, he wins the challenge, but now he's done. So what happens? Fourth quarter. About 14 minutes to go. Nikhil Harry catches a pass. He goes down to the goal line. Looks like he scores. The officials get together, and the down judge is the line of scrimmage official. The side judge is the deep wing. The side judge who's positioned at the goal line will have whether the ball broke the plane of the goal line. The down judge who's trailing the play will have the sideline and will look to see if he's out of bounds. You'll see this mechanically sometimes where the deep wing official will look to the line of scrimmage official to, to get a confirmation that the runner is either in or out of bounds. That's what happened. They got together and they ruled Harry out at the three. Unfortunately, Harry was not out at the three and uh, New England was out of challenges. They end up not scoring a touchdown on that drive, getting a field goal. And, uh, and we know how the game ended up. So even though this wasn't a scoring play, but, you know, potentially could have been a scoring play. Why can't the review booth call down for this one? So because the result of the play was not a score. Okay. But it can, was not what, do you find a way that this could, and be? this was discussed okay. and this has been a rule change proposal and it just hasn't passed. And this play, and, and again, you don't want a knee jerk reaction to one play, but I think it does happen. The proposal was to make all scoring plays and potential scoring plays automatically reviewable. But they took the potential off? So they took the potential off because it's hard. Like in this one, it's easy mm-hmm. to say 
that's a potential scoring play. But it's hard to draw the line to say, well, what if he's down at the one yard line? What if he's down at the two yard line? Is that a, you know, a potential scoring play? So it became very difficult to have a real black and white type of play where you're going to get, you know, the automatic review. So they went away from it. And unfortunately, that cost the Patriots because they couldn't challenge that. It would have been reversed, obviously. And then to make it, to compound it even further, then fourth quarter, about three minutes to go, three and a half minutes to go, Philip Dorsett gets clearly interfered with. I mean, this one, I'm 100% positive that this would have gotten added in replay. If I can agree, I, I agree, you're, but you're I don't allowed. know if I'm allowed to. Travis, you can always give your opinion when you're agreeing with me. Okay, <laughs> well, Fair enough. Okay. okay. So clearly past interference. I think it would have gotten added in, in replay. I hope it would have. And uh, New England's out of challenges. So this begs the question, again, what did the coaches want in the offseason when they met in March at the league meeting? They wanted a sky judge. They wanted a video official that could fix obvious errors at any point during the game. A sky judge, video official, whatever you want to call it, Wizard of Oz, whatever it is, would have fixed this play, okay, without a coach having to challenge it, without a team needing to have timeouts remaining. So it's another example of a play that would have been fixed by a video official. But again, this is one example. And when you open that up, you have to think about all the unintended consequences. So again, all good discussion. I think it'll continue into the off season. Can, can you share where the Patriots were on that vote? For well, it was thirty-two up for a video official. All the coaches got together, and they all wanted. And it. the all thirty-two, okay. and I've never seen thirty-two NFL head coaches at any point during my career agree on one wow. one item. They were thirty-two zero on a video official. The competition committee then ended up. Pulling back, they didn't go with video official. They went with pass interference. Last question. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of what the phone call at Riverrun is going to get from Belichick tomorrow? <laughs> I, well, Bill, I don't know. Bill's great. I, I, I love Bill. Um, you know, he understands officiating, but Bill is, it's going to, it's, if the phone call does happen, it's going to, it's not going to be, I can't use the same language that Bill will use. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it won't be a fun phone call. I've been on, I've been on the other end of those phone calls. And, uh, you know, one funny story about Bill, Bill Belichick, he, we would talk usually during the season, if not every Friday, almost every Friday. And he would call about different things. And I remember, and there's some coaches you can like Ron Rivera, who, who got fired last week, but who will get another job. I talked to Ron and, uh, obviously disappointed, but you know, he's, he's ready to get back in and he will have another job. Ron Rivera, if I was with my kids and Ron called, I could pick up the phone and, and talk to Ron and be like, oh, I got my boys here, you know, hear them in the background. And I'd feel comfortable if Bill called. And I remember one time I'm home with my oldest son, Luca, and who was probably three at the time. And Bill calls and I've talking to Bill and I've got it on mute anytime Luca was saying something and literally I had to put it on mute. And I was like, Luca, whatever you want, I'll give you ice cream, whatever you want. Just be quiet for the next 15 <laughs> minutes. And because, you know, you just, Bill doesn't give off that, that real touchy feely vibe. <laughs> but another funny story about Bill at the league meeting one year, we did a presentation and I would do a presentation in front of the owners and you talk about the game. And, uh, and we were all, the people that presented showed pictures of their kids because we're all NFL fans and our kids are NFL fans. And Bill came up to me, and, and it was the year of the Seattle. They beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. And uh, and it was a reception after the meeting. 
and uh, Bill came up to me and we he asked me about a play from the Super Bowl. It's always business. And then he goes, oh, yeah, by the way, cute kids. And then walked away. <laughs> so I was like, that? Wow. My he kids are really, cute. really like you. <laughs> my good. kids are cute. So anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Peter King on his thoughts on past interference review and everything else officiating rules related this year. Next on Good Call. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back to Good Calls with Dean Blandino. I'm so excited to welcome in our guest this week, National Sports Writer of the Year on three separate occasions, the author of five books. He's on the NBC Sports Sunday Night NFL Studio Show. He writes a weekly column, Football Morning in America, one of the most renowned sports writers of all time, Peter King. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Everything's going great, Dean. Thanks a lot for asking me. Oh, of course, of course. And I, I was saying this is a little bit different because in my NFL days, it was you you calling me and asking me questions, and now I get to return the favor. Yeah, you know, some of my favorite early podcasts were you trying to disabuse me of some notions I had that were wrong <laughs> about officiating. But you know what's amazing about officiating now? Not, I don't mean amazing in terms of... Uh, in terms of some great athletic feat or anything, but I mean that, you know, we have become so 
intense about everything as it relates to football yeah. uh, in our society that it would not matter if you had, you know, uh, Art McNally in his prime and Jerry Mark Bright and and all the truly Norm Schachter and, and all the truly great officials over time. If they were if they were officiating games today, they would all be bums. You know, they would stink. Yeah, because because now even the absolute best officials uh, are caught in errors that um, are just human errors. And, And again, they should take the blame. They should take responsibility. And I get that. But it truly is impossible to do this job. Uh, without error. And in a lot of ways, I feel bad for officials. And the game has changed so much. This is really probably the first year, Dean, where I really have thought that maybe Fred Gadelli is correct, you know, and he's a longtime great, sure. um, you know, football, uh, NBC sports uh, producer of games and and he's just so great at it. He's an artist. Um, and, you know, he wrote my column for me one week this summer. And one of the things that he said was, I don't think there should be replay at all. <laughs> because you more you, the more you go down the rabbit hole, the worse it is. And I, I'm not positive that I absolutely agree with him. But it sure some weeks sounds like a good point. Because isn't it the case that every Monday... We spend about half of Monday not talking about God. That 49ers Saints game is one of the best football games I've right. ever seen. Mm-hmm. We're talking about what a bunch of idiots in that New England game that, you know, and Keel Harry never stepped out of bounds. Sure. And they said he stepped out of bounds. You're only supposed to call what you actually see. Anyway, I'm rambling. No, but, but it's, it's become a big deal now. I'm glad you, you, you started off that way because that's what. You know, I've always said officiating is it's one of those few professions where you could be really good at what you do and people still think you're you're an idiot. And, you know, and I went through that. And but the thing is, I wanted to get your perspective on because I've been around NFL officiating NFL for 25 years. You've been around longer than that. Does it is is this season feel different? Does it feel like the normal course of that's just officiating and there's always going to be that angst or does it feel different to you? You know, someone in the media that's been around for a long time. Dean, it feels different because uh, because of the new pass interference uh, rules. And I'm uh, I'm just reminded when we go back and do a little historical perspective of this, that when this, um, when this new replay review process of pass interference calls and non calls was put on the books the last week of March in Phoenix, you know, we, we went to the, uh, the press conferences and heard the competition committee heard Al river on, discuss what it would take to either put the proverbial flag on the field. In other words, to call pass interference, uh, you know, in New York when it wasn't called on the field or to change a call that was made on the field. And at that meeting and many times thereafter, Al Riveron said that 
uh, it's going to take clear and obvious visual evidence to change a call. And somehow, some way, you know, it didn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. There were many calls. The one I still think is the most egregious, uh, even though it was at a time of the game that it was meaningless, yeah. was in the Giants-Patriots game. Sure, Golden Tate. When, yeah. uh, when Golden Tate got mugged by, I think, John Jones. I'm not, I forget. But he got mugged by a Patriots defensive back. And there's never been, this was as clear an example of interference as Nikhil Roby Coleman on Tommy Lee Lewis in the NFC Championship game. Mm -hmm. And and it was flagged by Pat Shermer. And it came back, uh, no, we did not see clear and obvious evidence to change the call. And again, look, I, my only thing is, if you make a rule in March, and you explain to everybody, here's how it's going to be adjudicated. Here's how the games are going to be officiated. Then that's the way it should be. If you don't like it, and if you're changing too many of the calls and people don't like it, then next March, it's only on the books for a year. You can change it. Mm -hmm. But somehow, some way, Al Riveron either got the word from Roger Goodell, you would know better than I, or got a little nudge from Troy Vincent or somebody in the football ops department to say, hey, uh, go easy on those things. I mean, it has to be an absolute uh, bludgeoning of a guy for you to overturn the ruling on the field or to put a flag on the yeah. field. And and that's not the way it was first explained. And that's why I have been so hard on uh, both Riveron and the officiating department, Rich McKay and the competition committee, because they simply have not done what they said they were going to do. And and that's what I would agree. That's what it feels like. And I don't know. I don't know if someone spoke to Al or was the competition committee or Troy, or the commissioner. I don't know. I do know that what happens sometimes during the season, the competition committee gets together. There's a phone call and they may adjust. And it does feel like there's been an adjustment because that Golden Tate call again I agree with you 100%. That was obvious pass interference, not called on the field, and they let it stand in replay. But I think what we're seeing these past couple of weeks is some calls being created in replay that are not quite as obvious as that tape play. So somebody right. somebody did get to Al or some there was some communication to loosen up the standard but yeah. again, I do feel like it's gone a couple of different ways this season, and that's been frustrating for a lot of people. Dean, and all anybody wants uh, is for, if you're going to set up a rule, uh, all anybody wants is for the rule to be adjudicated the way you said it was going to be. It kind of reminds me of uh, lowering the head to initiate contact mm -hmm. last year. It was called endlessly in the preseason. And I remember last year, and I'll, I'll tell you this quick story. I did, a, I don't know, I did maybe 50 interviews during the course of the season on the helmet. And I did a long podcast in the off season about what was going on with, with helmet um, technology, helmet manufacturing. I went out to Vices, the helmet company in Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, spent a day out there and watched some of the new things they were doing. But anyway, be that as it may. Um, you know, I remember being with some NFL people 
during the course of that. And these are the NFL health and safety uh, uh, people. And they never say anything, but they would totally roll their eyes when, when we would talk about how, why in the world would you put this rule on the books about lowering your head to initiate contact? Call it maybe, I don't know how many times, 30 or 40 times in the preseason, maybe more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the regular season started, I, I would guess, this is just a guess, and I might be wrong. I guess they called it 10 or 15 times during the season. I, I, I don't that, know that. If but that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was nothing like was what was happening in the preseason. And look, a, a, a foul is a foul. I have always felt uh, when I have written about the NFL, I've written anything about officiating, you have to call the game the same way in a preseason game uh, in August as you do in a playoff game in January. Um, and it's like with the with the play in New England with the down judge and the side judge and then Keel Harry uh, and, and, and what happened on that particular play. The replay obviously showed that his foot did not hit the white stripe. His foot was inbounds the whole time. And anyway, one official made a call that he thought he saw. And that is the mantra. I, you probably remember when I did a week in the life yeah, of the officiating sure. crew and, and Gene Steratore in 2013. I remember the Saturday before the, the Colts or the uh, Bears Ravens game in Chicago. That Saturday, sitting in that room, Gene was running the meeting. And he was very strident about when he was looking at some of the officiating tape that that you guys had sent out that week. And this obviously was at the time when you were senior VP Mm -hmm. of of officiating. And one of the things that Gene talked about, not only that day, but other points during the week is, guys, 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 we're only calling what we see. Don't assume don't assume anything. If you're if you're shielded by a play, don't call it. You didn't see it. Uh, and, and so sometimes, you know, I think it's human nature to, to say you saw the result of what you assumed yeah. was, let's say, hands to the face, but you didn't see it. So you can't call it. And that's that's the only thing that I say. Uh, it, all we want, I think, at both in, in media, fans, the public is to be able to call a play exactly i call it the way i see it you know the old the old mantra and that's all anybody really wants when it comes to officiating yeah and i think we've seen some plays this season especially you go back saints rams with an incomplete pass ruling saints pick it up should be a touchdown we saw the play in the game sunday with the patriots and chiefs where ruled down and it was a fumble by Kelsey. Then you had obviously had the play near the goal line with Harry getting ruled, you know, being ruled out of bounds. And that's something right. that Gene was absolutely right. And we, that's what we would teach officials. You you have to. The worst mistake an official could make is is calling something that's not there. And so you have to right. see the entire action. And uh, and you know you you asked me this question before the season about you know if I could you know things looking forward in the NFL and changes I would make. And I'd kind of pose that same question to you. If it were up to you or you were part of that, that decision-making process with this rule, this PI review, what we know now you're in the off season, what would be, where do you think the league should go with replay and especially on pass interference? 
Well, I think there would there should be two questions asked. First of all, number one, um, is this something that is just no matter what? You know, I, I, I'm going to preface my my response by making this one point to you. <clears throat> for 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 your listeners who don't who may not know this, okay? Every year, uh, the NFL puts on a seminar for uh, the television networks. And so each television network will spend, I don't know, maybe four or five hours either at the NFL office or uh, league people will go to one of the network facilities and just spend four or five hours going over all the new rules, everything Mm -hmm. uh, for the course of the year. And I remember this year when we went, when NBC went to the NFL office, you know, it was, I was there with Tony Dungy and, and Rodney Harrison and Tariko and a lot of the behind the scenes people. And, and so we're, we're all just sitting there. And when it was Al Riveron's turn um, to go over, okay, we're going to talk about pass interference. You know, I think, he might've run eight or 10 calls and he basically said, okay, here's how we view this. How do you guys view it? And mm-hmm. I disagreed with him on half the calls, mm-hmm. you know, in, in other words, I disagreed that that was interference. This wasn't interference. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wasn't trying to be sure. obstinate, but Tony Dungy was the same way. He said, Oh, I, you can't call that blah, blah, blah. And so I walked out of there that day saying, you know, this is going to be a problem. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the ultimate pass interference is the ultimate difficult call by officials in part because you cannot call it absolutely by the letter of the law because there is so much permissible both hand fighting and contact. And so, you know, I, I said to somebody, I would love to know on the the Chargers Denver uh, basically second to last play uh, in week 14 or in week 13 when uh, when Drew Locke of the of the Broncos obviously was just fishing for a yeah. long OPI call or a long DPI call. And so he just threw a bomb up there to Cortland Sutton and Casey Hayward and he banged into each other and they called it on Hayward. Now, I I didn't hate the call, you know, even though Denver basically is just sort of gaming the system by trying to get a pass interference call and all that. But, but it just, it's just is part of the issue and part of the problem on pass interference. If 10 people look at that Casey Hayward court and Sutton call, I'm guessing maybe five or six would have called it DPI, maybe eight, but I doubt sincerely it would be 10 for 10, even smart football people and or mm-hmm. back judges, let's say. I, 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 I don't know I that agree. everyone would have called it. I agree. But so so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that only to tell you that I, I just think pass interference might be a bridge too far. It might be the one call in pro football right now that you should not replay review that you're just simply going to have to take some bad with the good and you're going to have to trust that this is the ultimate human judgment call 
and not try to fix every call that is wrong. Because as we've seen during the course of this year, they change some, they don't change others. It almost seems, uh, you know, it almost seems almost, uh, there's no science to it. Yeah. And, and so my, if you're asking me what to do, what I would say is I do not think pass interference now anymore after seeing the debacle of this year. I just don't think it should be replay reviewable at all. And and I would be and I would be shocked if there aren't some members of the competition committee that feel that exact way. And I, yeah. th- I think they were, you know, and I've been a part of those meetings. They were very hesitant to add anything subjective and pass interference is other than offensive holding, pass interference is is the most subjective call that we have in the game. Right. And yeah. they they were so hesitant, and and then you you have the play in the NFC Championship game, and that ultimately, you know, was the driver behind it. And I think what Dean, we, I have to say this. Yeah, I have to say this. Being at that meeting, you know, I was talking to a few of my buddies in a press box. I don't know, in, sometime in the last month, and we were all sort of recalling. It's all guys who, and and one woman who cover the NFL regularly and many of whom uh, many of us go to these meetings. And I, I made this point that it was almost like, okay. uh, League meetings are funny things as you know, you've been to so many of them because, okay, you want to get all serious business done by end of day Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Because most owners are not staying past lunch on Wednesday. They're out of there. And and many of them are leaving, you know, nine o'clock Tuesday night. Uh, they, you know, three days in one place is enough for those guys. They're, they're, they, they, they just don't want to stay. So in other words, <clears throat> as we were there during that day on Tuesday, I could just sense there was so much momentum. It's like my father used to say to me, like if I was just sitting around the house, do something, even if it's wrong, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, let's, let's get going. Yeah. <clears throat> and I sense that day, Sean Payton, Jason Garrett, uh, Rich McKay, the, the league people, league office people. Oh, we're going to get something done. Troy Vincent. We're going to respond to this. We're going to get something done. And, you know, I, 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 and again, I wasn't being critical because I felt, that there really needed to be a fail safe for a play like happened in the, in the championship game, because truly you you say whatever you want, but there's a very good chance that the wrong team went to the yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah. And so, and so I, I think because there was a little bit of impatience uh, to really do something and not wait until May to do it because people felt like if we get out of here in these, if we leave this meeting, um, this is going to be hard to get this same momentum back yeah. at the spring meetings, which are significantly less, I, I'd call them intense than, than the ones uh, in March where everybody is at. Not everybody goes to the main. No, meeting. you don't have it. The head coaches aren't in the meeting in May. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess my, my whole thing is I, I just, I, I sensed that they, the NFL was going to do something mm-hmm. no matter what uh, what unintended consequences it led to. 
And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, in my experience with the competition committee, you've tried to vet out those unintended consequences. This this went through, and I agree 100%. There was a lot of momentum. You lose that momentum if you leave Phoenix in March and you wait until May. And they, they felt they had to do something and have that press conference, and they had it. And now we're seeing all of the unintended consequences play out during the season. And, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Look, it's only for one year. Yeah. Nobody died. Um, and <laughs> after, a, yeah, after the, um, you know, after the incredible emotion of Sunday and Monday, most people could take a deep breath and say, okay, how should we fix this? Yeah. We, we might have made a mistake. And so let's let cooler heads prevail and basically say, you know, unless you're going to make every call and every play replay reviewable, which for a while I really favored Bill Belichick still favors mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I, I just don't know it's that it's a very good idea to, uh, to replay such an incredibly subjective call. I would agree. And, and I don't think replay, like we talked about earlier, I don't think replays ever going away. You, you know, it's, it's still overwhelmingly good, and it, yeah. and it prevents outcomes from being decided ultimately by officiating mistakes. But I do think we we have to draw the line. And I think what we're seeing this year is maybe that line stops with calls like pass interference and holding and other yeah. things. And, and we stick to the more objective. Can objective I can facts. I ask you yeah. just one question that has been on my mind in the last few weeks? And that is, you know, everybody always says um, and I've talked to Terry McCauley of NBC about it, that it's always been stressed to officials that, you know, if there is a question whether somebody is down by contact and the ball is loose, let the play go. Because obviously it's going to be a turnover and is going to be adjudicated by replay anyway. So just don't blow the whistle. And obviously we saw another case of it uh, on Sunday where Stefan Gilmore of the Patriots picked up what was a fumble yeah. uh, by Travis Kelsey. But because the whistles blew, um, you know, the play, the play was dead. Now, would Gilmore have scored a touchdown? Likely, but not certainly, um, if the Chiefs were chasing him seriously. But, but be that as it may, why is that play so difficult for officials to not blow the whistle? And, and, and truly wait until the end of whatever happens. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that, that honestly we've struggled with because you're asking officials to, you know, call what they see. You want an official to be decisive, to use their, their judgment. And it's almost as if, if you, if you hit them with that too much and you, and you, and you basically hammer it to say, let it go, let it go, let it go. Do they become less decisive and do they rely on replay as a crutch where it really just should be a a safety net? And that's where it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance to say, we want you to be decisive, rule on what you see. If you have the player down, rule him down. And then you always give that. Okay. But if there is doubt, not not we're, we're not saying we're not trying to plant a seed of doubt, but if there is doubt, then don't blow the play dead. But again, it's that yeah. balance because if you continue to give them that 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 same thing over and over, then you plant that seed of doubt. Now they become less decisive, and I think that's always been one of the challenges. 
Yeah, and as I watch the Kelsey play uh, on replay, you know, I'm not excusing, you know, the the what turned out to be early whistles on the play, but it was a very difficult uh, fumble 100%. To, to see uh, with the naked eye. You really didn't see it until you you saw the replays from a couple of different angles. And, and it was slowed down. And, and again, that's one of the reasons why, look, it was a mistake, but I cannot kill the officials for that mistake because if I were on the field, I would have said, Hey, he's down, you know, plays over. Uh, and I probably would have, you know, mentally, uh, I had, I didn't have any problem at all with blowing the whistle until I saw what happened. The play in that game that really bothers me to this day is, Er, to this moment is the uh, is the play where you know Harry yeah. never steps out of bounds, and yet one of the officials thought he saw him step out of bounds. That's the one that just really bothers me. From your from your perspective, knowing what you know, I take it that'll be a pretty significant downgrade for that official. Yeah, the, you know the officials are evaluated, and and that's one of those. You know they're evaluated on calls that they make, calls that they don't make, and then judgment calls, and that's that's a judgment call. And and obviously in that situation, you have two officials. You have the down judge who's on the line of scrimmage, who's trailing the play, who's really responsible for the for the sideline, and then you have the side yeah. judge that is responsible for the goal line. They did look at each other. They they got together and talked about it. And again, you just in that instance when there is some question and now we're together, you just hope that they go down the path of neither one of us is clear that he stepped out. Then let's go with that. He didn't step out. And then if he did, replay can put it back. So you hope they get there. But unfortunately, they didn't. And uh, and, you know, and. Coach Belichick was out of challenges, and and obviously that mistake could not be fixed. So that that was, you know, that it's very interesting the science of challenges. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not in favor of increasing a coach's a number of coaches' challenges, but I think his first challenge was made just because, uh, you know, the offense was sputtering so much, and he was trying to give them some little edge, you know, trying to take any yeah, little edge he sure. could. And so that's why he used it. But I would bet if their offense was humming along like a typical Patriots offense, he never would. He's not going to challenge gonna, he's not, on that play. Hundred percent, you're right. Yeah, and so therefore he would have had the, that challenge left in the second half that actually would have meant four points because they would have scored a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal. And you know the one other thing about that, Dean, that's very interesting is that if you look at the play by play, and I don't remember it exactly, but the Patriots also would have saved about two minutes, which is time they definitely needed later on because they would have scored a mm-hmm. touchdown with whatever it was, like 11 minutes to go or 12 minutes to go, rather than kick the field goal with 10 minutes to go yeah. and give the ball back to the Chiefs. That was two minutes that they definitely could have used later in the later in the uh, in the quarter. They still would have been behind. But, hey. I, you know, look, I, I'm not a big fan of it's like when I write my column on Monday, if there's a mega controversy that has to be addressed, I'll address it. But like most most of these things that are little tempests in individual markets, I don't really write about yeah. them that much because, quite honestly, 
I just, unless, unless it is captured the country, I just don't think that people want to dwell on officiating. And, and I just, it, you don't watch a game because you want to be reading about officiating. As I say, unless it is a mega call that, uh, that everybody is talking about yeah. on Monday morning, I, I, I just, I just don't really write about it very much. I just don't think it's why people tune in at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. No, I agree. And and it's funny because when I was at the league office and this is every head of officiating has felt the same way. And I know Al feels the same way is that you'd, you'd rather have that controversy in a, in an early window game that is going out to 5% of the country (laughs) than than on Sunday night or, or in that, that, Kansas City, New England game that that 100% of the country or 99% of the country yeah. is watching. And that's that's just part of the reality of what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Peter, I could talk to you all day. Hopefully you'll join us again. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really happy to do so, Dean. Thanks a lot for asking. Please call anytime. It sounds good. Thanks, Peter. All right. Thanks again to Peter. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore King. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little college football and what happened in the Cube this weekend next on Good Calls. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
All right, we're back on Good Calls. Thanks again to our guest, Peter King. We had a weekend of championship games. I thought, for the most part, well-officiated. There was, um, you know, our game on Fox, the Big Ten Championship, Ohio State and Wisconsin. There were a couple of plays. I think we missed a false start. It was a false start on the Ohio State touchdown that I think um, the officials should have caught. All right, so that segues into our CFP, the rankings, what do we think? Did they get it right, the four teams? Did they get it right? I think they got it right, LSU. No, you don't. You've been saying Clemson all season long. He said Clemson because he's like, we're the champs, and until we're dethroned, we're number one. I do agree with that Even though we don't play anybody on our schedule, we play cupcakes all year. The ACC is awful. I'm a Miami fan, and I think the ACC you. is awful. I, I, I like that, though. If you if you don't lose, you're still the champion. You should, you should Look, be number I think one. I but LSU is definitely the better I team. I want to work down. I want to work from four. They got four right. Okay, Oklahoma. Oklahoma won, won the Big 12 championship. I think Utah losing opened the door up for Oklahoma and Georgia lost. So Georgia backs out. Georgia was four. Oklahoma moves up to four. I think they got that right. I think Clemson is right where they should be. Clemson is three. Okay, they haven't lost. They're undefeated. You can't knock them out of the the top four, but they're number three. And I think the real issue becomes Ohio State and LSU. And the bottom line is, look, going into the week, Ohio State was ahead of LSU. And quite frankly, it comes down to Ohio State having one bad quarter against Wisconsin where they went down Mm -hmm. 14-0 and LSU smoking Georgia. And and I think that's ultimately because when you look at their resumes, they're very similar. Um, they've played, you know, when you look at Ohio State has beaten has beaten five teams in the in the CF in the CFP rankings. I think um, you know, LSU has beaten four teams in the rankings. And uh and you look at their strength of schedule, very similar, but I think it came down to one bad quarter for Ohio State. And I think that's what pushed LSU into the top spot. No no response to that? Anybody? Oh, I totally agree with you. You agree? I think they got it right. But I think it was it was pretty easy for them. It, it, they didn't make the, the games kind of think pull. about it. Seems like the, a real lack of parity, though, it, in, in college it, football. I, I agree. And you think about, but the difference between one and two, again, is huge. Ohio State's going into that game against Clemson as a dog. They're an underdog going into that game. When you look at that difference, would you rather be playing Clemson or would you rather be playing Oklahoma? Yeah. That's that's big. So I, we'll I, see. Yeah, I think it's great. You're going to have two teams potentially in the final that are both undefeated, and one of the teams that was undefeated going in will will lose, and and then so then you'll have the outright champion and not anything else. But that leads us leads me to the next question: If we had the BCS still, which of those three teams you leave out? Obviously, you say Clemson. Clemson's but, but, out. But they're the re, they're, go, they're defending. You and Dabo, they're defending you and Dabo the title. can go yeah, go scratch because <laughs> it's not no. That's that's LSU and Ohio State. They're clearly the better two teams teams right now. Luckily, we don't have to deal with that. They don't have to deal with that. All right, so let's get into some stuff from the Cube. Michael Strahan was on fire in the Cube. I've never seen him like that. During the 49ers Saints game, and they they do so they pick. I think it's like whatever the Super Six, whatever they do. The the pregame show guys pick um, have picks, and Strahan picked the Niners. And if if the Niners won, he was going to move into first place. So he was fired. Up, he was upset about a defensive hold that was called on Richard Sherman that gave that gave the Saints a first down. Um, but uh, he wasn't upset about the no pi on the fake punt, that's for sure. But he was fired up. But we got it got me thinking. You know, we I'm I've been officiating my entire career, and officiating you can't I I don't bet I don't bet on games. You know, I've never done that. It's just not 
was just not allowed. So, but we, what we did was we liked to just pick games in the, in the cube. And so we came up with this concept of hypothetical bets, okay? hypothetical lock of the week. And so, so we're doing, we're coming up. Joe has already, he's, he owns the <laughs> domain name for hypotheticalbookie.com. This and is this true. is, this is the place you go for all your hypothetical betting needs. <laughs> and, and so these are hypothetical bets. We think there's something there and I think we're going to do it. We own the domain name. Um, you know, where maybe you get credits for prizes and things, but Travis had his hypothetical lock of the week. Oh my God, this is good. He was all over the Texans as his hypothetical lock of the week. Yeah, I went a little fanboy on it because my, my wife plays fantasy football and she's like moving into second against uh, the people she works with at NFL Network. And so I got excited and I was like, okay, Watson's our quarterback. They're going to crush Denver. They're eight point, eight and a half point favorites. I was like, they can get this. And and they I mean, it was, it was like to thirty eight three <laughs> at one point. And, and like, Travis, ever the optimist, is like, no, they could come back. They can come back. I was like, jeez. So so Travis is down a, a, hundred, hypothetical, a thousand yeah. hypothetical dollars. But anyway, so I just thought that was hilarious. Travis tried half baked Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, another what sponsor think? opportunity. What'd you think? I, I liked it. I, I didn't uh, love it like you. I know I, I'm not a huge like cookie dough fan of my ice cream because it just gets a little bit too not, too hard. Wait. But I did love I did love the brownie. The brownie, the brownie was, was the awesome. best part of the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. I love the you, brownie. I didn't not, leave it out for seven minutes. You're not but, a fan of cookie dough yeah, in your I, ice cream? Yeah. Like, whatever. What, what else are you not a fan of? Like I, there's probably a handful of things. Like, I, I like both, but I'm not huge. Unicorns? On them. Like what? Oh. I got a daughter. I love unicorns. All right. All right. Let's so go. Give, let's, uh, give everything but the shot. We'll talk about that. All right, let's try to fit in a little brain of Blandino. All right. Here we go. Pretty sure there are times where Waze is just like, screw this dude. Oh, <laughs> has that ever happened to you? Oh, my God. Like, there's sometimes where it's like, where are you taking me? <laughs> Like, I'm sitting there like, this is supposed to be the cutting edge of technology. They're supposed to get us around traffic. Everyone's supposed to be talking Everybody's to each other. Everybody's supposed to be four rights. What's it's up with this? literally, sometimes I'm like, literally, I'm like they're, they're, they're messing with me right now. Like, they are literally, somebody's in there going, he's not going to get where he needs to get. Have you ever, like, multiplied and, like, checked the the address multiple times? Multiple times. Yeah, because, like, there's no way it's taking me here. No, 100%. 100% like, where, so, and literally, like, there's times where, and then it doesn't update right away. And I'm like, I have to, I know I have to make a turn here. And then it's like, tell wait, that definitely a hundred percent. Sometimes I literally think they're just messing with people. I, one time I was out with, with this girl, it was like a second date and we were going somewhere and it took us through like canyons yeah. and through this crazy. And she was like, I'm getting sick. Yeah. yeah ways one. You were, she ways tried to, was messing with you. She that tried night. to tell me like, Oh, let's go this way. Instead. I'm like, Oh no, no, I always follow ways. And yeah. then it was, it, it was a disaster. Why you didn't get a third like date, this, right? Yeah. This is why well, you didn't get a third date. This guy's not getting yeah, any. Definitely not I have happen. a confession. I've never used ways. Oh, that doesn't shock me. <laughs> oh geez. What are you still on the, what do you got a Garmin? <laughs> I just put my directions in my phone and I go that way. Like compass. He printed off of Yahoo maps. Yeah. He's got the printout next to him. It's tough when you have a cloudy night, you can't see the stars. You know? And that is for the next episode on SWG with Travis Hansen. All right. That's good calls with Dean Blandino. Please follow me on Twitter at Dean Blandino and Instagram at Dean.Blandino. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Rules Podcast. And be sure to rate our podcast on the iHeartRadio app and on Apple Podcasts.
Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.